Welcome, everyone. You are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. In this episode, Pastor Chris kicks off a brand new series entitled Know and Be Known, which is a study in 1 John. In this series, we take a look at important questions such as, how do I know that I know God? How do I know God loves me? How do I know I am saved? How can I be assured and have certainty when I have these questions? The message this week is entitled, How Can We Know We Are Saved? Our primary text is from 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Let's get started. Well, we're starting this new series. Uh, we're looking at going through the book of 1 John. We're going to talk, the title is Know and Be Known. And I love 1 John. It's a great, great letter because it's a, it's a letter that's all about sh- assurance. It's a letter all about certainty. And it's written by John, who is one of the closest disciples of Jesus. And he, he covers things in there like, how, is it, how can we know that we actually know God? How can we know that our experience is real? How can we know and be assured of God's love and control in our life? How can we know that we're actually saved? I don't know about you, but these are questions I've asked before. I have wondered before, and maybe you have as well. I mean, there's some to that question of how do you know you are saved? Some would certainly say, well, I know I'm saved. Of course I'm saved. Why? Well, you know, I prayed the sinner's prayer. In fact, I've prayed it 5, 10, 50 times. Some would say, I know I've prayed the sinner's prayer. I've been baptized. I've been baptized like three, four times. A few years back, Barna did a, a research, a study, And they discovered that 50% of Americans say that they have prayed some form of the sinner's prayer before in their life. And of those who prayed the prayer, half of them do not attend church in any way, shape, or form, and they don't have a lifestyle or worldview that is in line with Christianity. In other words, they're no different than those who are not in the Christian faith other than the fact that they just prayed a prayer. Matthew chapter 7 actually talks about a group of people just like that. And it talks about these people who go before Jesus on the last day, you know, the judgment day. And on Matthew, 5, uh, in Matthew 7 verse 22, they say to this, they say, Lord, Lord. And then they talk about how we believe in your name and we do all these things in your name. And then Jesus turns them away with the brutal words, depart from me. I never knew you. In other words, they prayed a prayer and they were confident heading into eternity with a salvation that they did not actually possess. And as your pastor, part of my role is to ask us, could that be true of some of us here this morning? Could that be true of some of us this morning? Because Jesus is talking to a group of people in Matthew 7, just like us, religious people, church people. And my goal certainly wouldn't be to scare us, but there are several things in Matthew chapter 7 in the passage that people use to assure themselves of salvation that in and of themselves don't guarantee salvation. For example, praying a prayer isn't a guarantee of one's salvation. Religious and ministry activity isn't a guarantee. The people in Matthew 7, they're very active in their faith. I mean, they're going to church and they're going on mission trips and, and they're serving and they know, their volu- they know their Bible verses. In fact, even in the passage, they were, some of them were active in the church's prayer ministry, even throwing out demons in Jesus' name. 
we can certainly express our repentance and our faith in Jesus through a prayer. But it's not the prayer itself that saves us. What saves us is is true repentance and the belief behind the prayer that lays hold of salvation. So today, as we dive into this this book that talks about this assurance, I want to actually start not at the beginning, but at the end in in 1 John chapter 5, because it really summarizes the letter. And as we look at this letter of 1 John, we have to ask the question, does God even want us to know for sure that we're saved? Now, that may be a simple question, but the reality is even within certain circles of the Christian faith, some would say no. That God doesn't want us to know where we stand with him, you know, because that way he can keep us in line. It's like dangling a carrot in front of us. You better act right or no heaven for you, right? No heaven, just hell. Some believe if you have the assurance of salvation that you'll just get lazy in your faith. But what is it that John said to us? So let's look, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. John says this, He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may, what's the word? That you may, that you may know that you have eternal life. Yes, God wants you and I to know that we are saved, to be certain that we're saved. Now, why is that? It's because he's a good, good God. He's a good God who loves us. And when you love someone, you want them to know that you love them. Isn't that true? You want them to know. John also wrote the Gospel of John. And in it, John mentions a couple of analogies that Jesus shared with his disciples about, because he wanted them to know, hey, here's how much I love you, and here's how much I care about you. Here's how I feel about you. For example, in John chapter 14, verse 18, Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. In other words, Jesus wanted us, his disciples, to know that we're his children, that we're his beloved children. I got to tell you, I can relate to that as a dad. I never want my kids wondering whether or not I actually love them. I never want them to wonder whether I'm fully committed to them or not. I never want that. In fact, every time we have a conversation, my, my kids and I, when we walk away from that conversation, we always say, I love you. That's how we fit. It doesn't matter how simple it is. It doesn't matter if we're just passing by each other and in a quick two seconds words or whatever. It always ends with, I love you. Why? Because I don't want there to ever be a single moment where my kids aren't absolutely confident to know with certainty that I love them. You know, when my kids were younger and I would go on away on trips for a few days every once in a while, can you imagine? Here, let me tell you what I didn't say to them. I didn't gather them there. Hey, Kobe, Cam, Cal, hey, hey, come here. I got to talk to you. Listen, I'm going away on a trip for a few days, and I'll be back soon, or maybe never at all. In fact, maybe I'm not even your real dad at all. Maybe my real family lives somewhere else, and I'm going to see them now. So you'll just have to wait and see if I come back. Now, while I'm gone, kids... I want you to think about what I just said, and I want that to motivate you to become better children. Now, what would that say about me as a father? First of all, that I'm a psycho. (laughs) Listen, I guarantee speaking like that would not develop a love and a loyalty in our children. It might, for a season, produce a fear-based obedience, 
But eventually, all fear-based obedience ends up in some way, shape, or form turns into a father-loathing rebellion. That's where it heads. So if you and I who love our kids, we would never want them to feel alone like they're orphans, that, 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 that we don't love them. Obviously, God, who is the, the best father of all, he doesn't want us, his children, to feel alone, to feel like orphans, to feel like we aren't loved. He wants us to be assured that he loves us, that he's there for us, that he will not leave us. He wants us to know and have that assurance, that certainty. In the same conversation in John chapter 14, Jesus goes on and then compared, he talking about how he felt about him, he talked about his disciples and compared this to a betrothed or engaged bride. John 14, Jesus said this to his disciples, he said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Now, you and I kind of glance over that. We say, I feel like I've heard that verse before. That's often shared at funerals. And, 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 but you kind of go, what does all that mean? You and I may not fully understand that verse, but, but the Jewish people, his disciples, when they heard that, they got it. They understood the context. Because in their world, when, 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 a, when a man got engaged to his soon-to-be bride, something would happen. He would go away. He would go away and get the home ready and prepared for his future bride. Make sure everything was just right and was just perfect. And so when he was gone, she would wait in anticipation. She had the assurance that he was getting everything ready for them. And that certainty, that's what gave her the strength to carry on. That's what gave her the peace to know that she was loved by her soon-to-be husband. See, our assurance, it's wrapped up. Our assurance of salvation is wrapped up in the fact that God loves us. Of course he wants us to know and have that assurance of our salvation. John says it this way in 1 John 4. The reason you and I love is because he first loved us. Assurance of the love that God has for us. See, that's what leads you and I to follow him. A saying we say around here from time to time, because he died for me, I want to live for him. It's because of his love for me. That's why I want to follow. It's not being coerced or threatened with judgment as some way to keep us in line. Because when you make someone follow or obey by threatening them with hell or, or eternal separation, you can coerce behavior for a certain time. But that won't lead to a place where a heart is captivated. Coercion doesn't work. That's not how God works. God wants to capture our hearts. This love of God, it makes me think of John chapter 8. And in that chapter, Jesus is confronted with this woman who had been caught in adultery, who had been caught up in sin. And it's a beautiful example of the incredible tenderness that Jesus has for us. And Jesus says to her, and she says to you and me, this person had been caught in sin. He said, listen, I want to tell you, I do not condemn you. Sure, I don't want you to keep sinning like that. Don't go keep sinning like that. But I want you to know, I love you. I don't condemn you. God's acceptance of you and of me, of who we are, 
and what we are in Christ, that's the power that liberates us from our sin, not the threat of judgment. As Trev and his team sang in the song, it's the goodness of God that's running after us. That all our life, all my life, God has been faithful, even when we don't see it. The song said he's pursuing us. He's running after us. He's a good, good God. And only once you and I truly grasp that, only once we truly understand that, can we actually move forward in our walk with God. Move forward spiritually because everything flows out of that reality, that fact that he is a good, good God and he's pursuing us and he's going after us and he loves us. So yes, yes, yes. God wants you and I to know for sure that we are saved, that we have eternal life. And that assurance, that certainty starts with the fact that God loves us so much. Knowing that is what gives you and I a hope and a confidence that he has our best interests at heart here on earth and for all eternity. So the next question becomes, okay, he wants us to know, so how can we know that we are saved, that we can have eternal life? John says there's a couple ways. Let's look at 1 John 5, verse 13 again. He says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know you have eternal life. So how can you know we are saved? How can we know? How can we be confident? How can we have the certainty we are saved? Very simple, the verse tells us, because we've placed our hopes for heaven entirely on Jesus. Uh, Let me try to explain this. When John says that you believe in the name, there it is, you believe in the name of the Son of God, that means that, here's what it literally means, believe in the name means to rest in, to rest on account of, to rest in and on account of. Let Let me explain it like this to you. Uh, so this last year, I went on a trip, uh, led a trip to Israel again with a bunch of you. And, and I've done that a few times. Now, i got to tell you, I've been there a, a whole bunch of times. But what happened on this trip has never happened to me before. So we get to the Sea of Galilee. It's, uh, get to our hotel. It's time to check in. Everybody, traditionally, we walk in the lobby. Everybody gets their keys. They get the keys passed out, and they go head off to the rooms. Rooms aren't very big. They're kind of small, just, just enough for two people to, you know, to sleep in and, and take a quick shower, and then you know, you're gone because you're just going to different hotels. So that's kind of what's normal on this trip. Well, our guide, Moshe, he comes up to me. He passes all the keys out. He comes up to me. He says, I want you to go up to the front desk and tell them that you're under my name. Tell them you're under my name. They're going to give you keys and whatever costs that you incur while we're here, it'll be covered. I'm like, sweet. That's pretty awesome. So I say, go to the front desk. I say, hey, I'm here with Moshe. And he said to come up here and to get my room. And they're like, oh, Mr. Delph, so it's a pleasure. You're here. It's a pleasure to serve you. Thank you for staying with us. Here is your room. Now, what you need to do is you need to go back out the front doors. You need to head around the right. There'll be a trail over there. You follow the trail to the very end, and and your room is is so-and-so. And just let us know. Anything you want, anything you need, we'll cover it. Like, this is incredible. Now, this is also, you need to know, it's kind of strange. Again, it's never happened before because... Everybody else, they got their keys and they went to the elevator and they went up the elevator or down the elevator in the hotel. But they had me walk out the doors. So I walk out the doors and I go to the right and I follow this path. And the more I follow it, the, the nicer and prettier it gets. And it's lush and it's green and all these flowers and plants. And it's just beautiful. And I head, keep walking. And then I get to the end of this path and there's this little cottage overlooking the Sea of Galilee. 
surrounded by lush greenery. And I'm like, this is my room? I open the door, and it's this giant room, a huge room. Right to the left there, as we walk in, there's this giant hot tub with a ton of, you know, to massage your back. I'm like, oh my goodness, this is incredible. We open the windows, and there's the Sea of Galilee. And it's just, that's all we see. We don't see anything else but the Sea of Galilee. And, and, and the bathroom is huge, and the beds are there. And, and you can lay down on the bed, and there's this giant TV that basically sat over your bed, so you can just lay in bed and watch the TV. And that gave me ideas for my own house. And, and, and then over on the counter, there was this cheese and crackers and wine and chocolates. And I'm like, this is incredible. And I thought to myself, I can never afford a place like this. But I was under the name of Moshe, which meant I got all the perks which meant I didn't have to pay for anything. It meant it was an all expenses paid. Listen to this. Nothing I did was charged to me. It was charged to his account. And all of you who went on that trip with me are now ticked at me. (laughs) Which is why I never told you. (laughs) I think I bribed you guys with the bottle of wine. Didn't I pass that (laughs) bottle of wine to you guys? (laughs) You're like, that's where it came from. Oh, man, I had a ton of them in there. When you believe in the name of the Son of God, that means you are resting in his actions to save you. It's only on account of him. You are under his name. You are on his account. Your sin is not charged to you. It's charged to his account. The Apostle Paul said it this way, Acts chapter 4, salvation is found in no one else. For there is, you ready for this? There is no other what? There is no other name under heaven by which mankind can be saved. It is that we're on the, under the name of Jesus. We can't earn heaven by drawing upon, you know, some moral bank account that we have, by how well we do or how much we've done. Uh-uh. We just simply rest on the finished work of Jesus on account of his name. If I were to ask you, hey, are, are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? If your answer was, well, I'm trying. Well, I'm doing the best I can. You know what that tells me? It tells me you don't get it yet. That you don't understand the good news yet. That you think on some level that there is this need that you have to perform to qualify for heaven or eternity. Don't miss it. There is nothing left that needs to be done. Jesus has finished the work for our salvation. Now, the Old Testament gives a really cool image of this, and it's found in Leviticus chapter 1. Let me, let me kind of set this up. The Jewish people, they were required to come before the temple or, or become before the altar and, and sacrifice an unblemished animal for their sins. That, that's, that animal was basically taken their place so they, they could receive the forgiveness of their sins. Now, as I read this verse, it, I want you to listen to how it worked. Listen to the imagery of how it worked. Leviticus 1, verse 4, it says, to, they would say, I want you to lay your hand on the animal's head, and the Lord will accept its death, notice those next three words, in your what? In your, in your place, to purify you, making you right with him. I just want to ask you, is your hand resting on the head of Jesus, 
as payment for your sin. Maybe New Testament image, you know, the cross. Is it resting on Him? Are you trusting Jesus for your salvation? If so, you can be assured of your salvation. Notice, think about this verse in light of Jesus, that that when you lay your hand on, on, on Jesus, the Lord will accept His death in your place to purify you, thus making you right with God. By the way, the important part of this, it's, it's not, you know, the words we say. It's the placing of our hand on the head. Now, let me kind of explain that to you a little bit. Let me give you some more in imagery. Let me give you an analogy here. So I have this chair here on the stage. And, and when it comes to this chair, there's only two postures that I can take in relationship to this chair. I can stand next to it, in front of it, to the side of it, on, back, on the back of it, behind it. I can stand on my own strength, on my own legs, my own two, you know, on my strength, on what I can do. Or I can sit on the chair. Got it there, guys? Sorry. I can sit and rest in the fact that the chair will take care of me. The chair will hold me. My own strength, my own righteousness, my own efforts to earn, to do, to accomplish, or I can sit, even another way to say it, I can rest because I'm seated in Christ. Here's the question What is your present posture? Are you standing on your own two feet? On your own effort? Might even be close. Might be right by it. Or are you seated in Christ? That you trust Him to hold you, to hold all your weight, to hold everything about you, to, for Him to provide you with eternity? Is your present posture a reflection of what you say you believe? Are you seated in Christ? It's not the prayer you prayed. It's the posture that you take. So, one way that John tells you and I that we can know for sure that we're saved is that we have placed all of our trust, all of our hope, we have been seated in Christ on account of what He's done for us. And we are seated in Him and in His righteousness, not on our own effort or our own righteousness. When we have you know, laid our hand on His head, he says, John says, you can know, you can be assured that you are saved because of what Jesus has done. John then goes on and gives a second way that we can know that we are saved. I want you to look at 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. And he says this, he says, we know that God's children do not make a what? Do not make a practice of sinning. For God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. So second, how can you and I know that we are saved? It's because we have a new nature. 2 Corinthians 5 describes it this way. He said that any of you who belong to Christ, you're actually a new person. The old is gone. The new life has begun. So here it is. When you and I surrender our life to Jesus, God fills us with his very own spirit, what we call the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, you and I have a new nature. We are a new creation. Now, this new nature, also, that means you have new desires. It means we don't just keep sinning the same way before we knew Jesus. 
New person, new nature. A new nature that doesn't love the things that we loved before we knew Jesus. A new nature that, that gets sickened by the things that sicken God. That, discuss, that what disgusts God begins to disgust us. We begin to look different. In John chapter 3, you get a picture of this. Jesus talked about it. And, and this Pharisee named Nicodemus came to Jesus. And he wanted to understand, I want to talk to Jesus, wanted to understand about life and eternal life and what that looked like. And, and so it was a little bit confusing to him. And so, so Nick comes to him and Jesus tells him and he says this. You need to be born again. Nick didn't fully get what he was talking about, but Jesus is using an earthly metaphor to explain a spiritual truth or reality. You need to be born again. What was he talking about? Well, when a baby is born, what's occurring? When a baby is born, a new life emerges that was not there previously. And this brand new being, this new baby, will over time grow to look like its parents. Now, when a baby is first born, I mean like on day one and you go uh, see the baby or, or it's your baby, I, I just get a kick out of everybody like on day one, minute one, everybody's like, oh, who does it look like? Oh, it looks like the dad, it looks like the mom. It doesn't look like anything, you know, right then and there, okay? It looks like nobody right away. I've seen enough babies to know. You can't tell. Everybody's just fishing here. But over time, as that baby grows, you're like, man, I see it. You got his nose, her eyes, his chin, her, her forehead, whatever. The baby begins to look like who it is born to. It's the same with you and I in Jesus Christ. As you and I give our life to Jesus, a new life emerges in our life. As we surrender more and more fully to the Holy Spirit in our lives, there's a new look in us, and we start to look more like our Heavenly Father. Why? Because we have a new nature. We're born again. We grow to look like Christ. Now, here's what's interesting about this. John says this, 1 John chapter 2, he says, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is actually a what? Is actually a liar. Man, it's harsh. And the truth is not in that person. See, if you and I say that we know God and we just practice sin. Now, I don't mean struggle with sin. Every single one of us, we're going to struggle with sin. We're going to stumble on this side of heaven. We have this new nature, sure. But the Bible also talks about, man, we still, on this side of heaven, we still have our, 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 our sinful nature. And Paul says, man, that's just like this battle, this war that kind of goes on inside of us on this side of heaven. And, and so, yeah, we're going to have that battle going on inside of us. We all struggle. But John is talking about those who engage willfully and defiantly. Those who say, you know what? Yeah, I know God. I'm going to live my life my way. And he says, that person, they're a liar. See, the simple fact is, those who love God, they can't love God and love the things that grieve God. Those who love God, they can't be neutral about the things that God hates. We can't have a mouth that sings praise to Jesus, but then have a life that just openly crucifies him. He said in 1 John, do not love this world nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, i.e. the things that it offers you, you do not have the love of the Father in you. So I just asked the question, what about you? I mean, I've been asking this of myself all week. What does my life reflect? 
Is it somebody who loves God or do I love the things of this world? And by the way, this explains uh, the previous couple verses that can actually be a little confusing, but I want to just look at them real quick. In 1 John chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying that you should not pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin. And there is sin that does not lead to death. Now, you read that, pretty confusing. I don't have a 30-minute message to dive deep into that. There's a couple of different interpretations. Bible commentators have discussed this for, for, you know, for hundreds and hundreds of years. But let me just give you a super, super, super simplified explanation or version of this. Now, remember our context here. We're asking, how is it that you and I can know that we're saved? And one of the ways that you and I know that we're saved is we have this new nature in us. We're a new creation. We're born again. And the evidence, one of the pieces of evidence of that is displayed in our life with how we deal with sin in our life. The sin that leads to death is that person who just continually, willfully, defiantly choose to reject God and His ways. Stay in that state and you will ultimately find yourself dead, physically and eternally. It's the people in Matthew chapter 7 who say, Lord, oh Lord, but don't actually live a life that reflects Jesus being their Savior and Lord. On the other hand, there are those who have been born again, who have this new nature, who have the Holy Spirit inside of them. They sin. We sin because on this side of heaven, that will happen. But when the sin happens, if you have that new nature, the Holy Spirit inside of you, something happens when you sin. Man, your heart's grieved. There's this coming back to your senses. There's this, I know I love God and He loves me. And I want to be right with God. And so I repent and I seek God and I ask for His forgiveness. That's a sin that does not lead to death. I like how Proverbs 24 describes it. It says this, The godly may trip seven times, but notice what it says. They will get up again. And I've discovered in my own life that I trip a lot. I stumble, I fall, I sin. But man, each time, because, I, because the Holy Spirit is in me, because of that new nature in me, man, when I sin, I, I turn back my eyes to Jesus. And that, how is that possible? It's because of the new nature, the Holy Spirit inside of us. How do you know you're saved? John says one of the ways you can know is based on how you respond to sin in your life. John says, if you just keep on sinning and sinning and sinning and, and that's occurring, there's no truth in you. You're lying if you say you know God. But if you find yourself caught in sin, those who have the new nature, what's their response? There's a humble submission. There's a dropping to our knees, so to speak, because again of the Holy Spirit in us and the conviction of the Holy Spirit in our lives, which means what? It means we repent. It means we say we're sorry. We confess our sins because we acknowledge God is the one who is saving us through the spilled blood of Jesus on the cross. To use Proverbs language, you get back up. Trev and his team, again, singing this song, Goodness of God, and it's going to be a song we sing throughout this series, and 
I really hope this song takes root in your heart um, and just kind of kind of is there with you uh, throughout this series. There's an incredible line in there. It says this. It says, with my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. You see, that's what we're talking about. Salvation is not about never falling. Our salvation is about what we do when we fall. That there is this, I surrender now. I surrender now. God, I give you everything. It's this constant coming before God, this constant surrendering to him, to giving him everything. Listen, God wants you to know that you're saved. He wants you to have that assurance and that confidence. Why? Because he loves you. He doesn't want to keep you in limbo and guessing. He gives us the assurance. We can know that we're saved. How can we know? Well, for starters, we can know he loves us, and we can know because we've placed our hope and our trust and our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. That it's all Jesus, that he did what we can't do for ourselves. He was the perfect sacrifice for our sins. We've laid our hand on his work. And when we place our hope and when we place our trust in him, not in our goodness, not in our righteousness, not on what we do, when we transfer our trust from ourselves to him, number two, we get a new nature. We're born again. And with that new nature being a new creation, the old is gone, the new has arrived, that new nature will cause you and I to repent when we sin, that we will rise up because we'll just continue to trust Jesus for salvation and not our human effort. God's running after you. He's pursuing you. He loves you. Have you received him? as your Lord and Savior? Have you transferred your trust from your own life to Him? If so, today is meant to be that assurance of your salvation to affirm that once again. There might be some of you here this morning, you haven't taken this step. Or you've played games with God, but you know down deep, you know what? I've never really transferred my trust to Jesus. I've still been standing next to the seat. I haven't seated myself in him. If that's you, you're here this morning, I want to give you an opportunity that today can be the beginning of the rest of your life, the rest of eternity. God loves you. He's running after you. He's pursuing you all your life. He's been faithful to you even when you couldn't see it. And what do you do to receive that salvation? Again, it's not the prayer itself, but it's praying something that reflects a heart that says, God, here's my life. I give it to you. If you want God to come into your life and to save you, I want to give you that chance to do that now. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come this morning with hearts surrendered to you. So God, we want to give you everything. And God, I want to pray for those right now who need to know you as Lord and Savior. So God, hear their prayers. You're running after them. You've been calling them. And today is the day of salvation for one or two or 10 or 20. And I pray, God, today's the day your Holy Spirit does the miracle in their life and you draw them to yourself. So if you're here this morning and you say, I'm ready, it's time. I just want to, in faith, give my life to Jesus. I don't understand everything yet, but I know he loves me. And I know he died in my place 
And I can rest in account of that. And so I just want to give my life to Jesus. If that's you, will you pray right now with me? It's not the words, more that you mean it in your heart. Will you pray something like this? Say, Jesus, I come before you now. Thank you for saving me, for dying for my sins so that I could live. As best as I understand, right now, Jesus, I just transfer my trust from myself and what I can do to trusting in you for my eternity. Here's my life. I surrender to you. Thank you for giving me the salvation. Thank you for giving me your Holy Spirit. I worship you. I love you. In Jesus' name, God, hear these prayers. As we pray this before you, may you be glorified, God, as your kingdom grows. We pray this. We worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.